Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. I'm Dan Putt, one of the partners here at Reboot. I could not be more excited about this show. I've known Jerry for almost seven years now, and without a doubt, I can say that my work with him has had a profound impact on my life. In this show, we're opening up the coaching couch to the world, bringing everyone in on this conversation around this work. We're here to showcase the heart and soul of authentic leadership and to inspire more open conversations around what we consider the most important part of entrepreneurship, the emotional struggle, and hopefully opening up some hearts along the way. We are extremely grateful that you've taken the time to be with us and look forward to this journey ahead with you. Now, on to our conversation. Before we kick off our show, I wanted to quickly mention we will be officially announcing our boot camp schedule for 2015 very soon. So be sure to check out our website, reboot.io, or sign up for our email newsletter and be the first to find out when applications officially open. We come to accept that every one of us can fail. Fail to live the life we desire for ourselves, or even fail to uncover the desire itself. Without failure, we have no possibility of appreciating or praising the life well lived, the work well done, a place well taken care of, or the greater ecology that makes up our home. That's from David White in his book, The Heart Aroused, Poetry and the Preservation of the Soul in Corporate America. How can you save a business from the brink of bankruptcy and grow at 2,000% in 10 years? and yet feel like it all could go away at any given moment. Or face the fear, the weight, that you must be chief breadwinner for you, your family, your co-founder, your co-founder's family. In this episode, we have two entrepreneurs dealing with two different and yet similar fears. Fears that entrepreneurs know all too well. Our first conversation is with Sherman Lee, co-founder and CEO of Good Audience. One quick note, you'll hear some dates mentioned in this episode, and I just wanted to mention it was recorded at the end of August. So a uh, good audience is a SaaS that allows you to build, manage, and market to your social communities in essentially a, fract- a fraction of the time. So it's like inbound marketing on social media. And uh, we just did Techstars London, and we moved back to San Francisco about a month or so ago. And tell me a little bit about the financing history, because I know that your core question is about financing. Have you, did you bootstrap into Techstars and then get a little bit of money? Where are you? Right. So uh, we only have the money from Techstars. Um, and during Techstars, we had completely uh, shut down the previous business and pivoted into something new. And uh, we launched our beta about nine weeks ago. We have almost a thousand users now and uh about two percent are paying and so we have about 850 dollars in monthly recurring revenue so far okay okay why don't you give me a little bit more on what your core question is and what it is that you want to talk through to about today yeah so what uh, my biggest concern is running out of money (laughs) so we're going to run out of money somewhere near the end of the year and it's just like the the biggest struggle for us is figuring out how to get people into our product, get them to actually like it, and get them to pay. And it's 
not as fast as we'd like. Okay. So you ready to do a little bit of real coaching? Sure. Okay. I promise you that we will talk about fundraising strategy. Okay. Uh But I want to bring you back to something. And I noticed it immediately when you said, when you started talking about running out of money. Can you tell me again what the fear is? You're going to run out of money? Uh, running out of money would mean that I can't pay my co-founder. Uh, he has a wife. I also have a wife and a baby. So uh, everyone needs to be fed, <laughs> essentially. And so that's the biggest fear, not having money. So slow down and feel that. Now do you feel it? So here's what I noticed, okay? And this is true for a lot of people. They start to talk about the thing that's really, really scary, and they speed up. It's like, it's like running past the graveyard because it's so scary we want to not actually stay there. I'm a pain in the ass because I'm going to make you stay there for a few minutes. What's your wife's name and what's your baby's name? My wife is Shannon and my daughter is Fiona. And how old is Fiona? She is three months, three months and five days. Okay. Three months and five days. So this is really visceral for you. Yeah. So I have three kids. And I will tell you something that I've shared with a lot of people. I heard this many years ago. Being a parent is like wearing your heart outside your body. That's how vulnerable and scary it is. What is the crazy, implausible fear, the one that your mind keeps trying to push out of your head when you think about running out of money and Shannon and Fiona and your co-founder and his wife, and probably, do they have kids? They do not have kids yet. Yet, yet. I knew the, the yet. The, ki- the kids to be named later. When they come to your mind, what happens? I uh, do not want to disappoint them. Why not? I feel like I have a responsibility as co-founder of this company to continue to like on a monthly basis to get everyone fed. To get everyone fed. So this is very raw. This is very primal. Your job, do you, now are you feeling the visceralness of breadwinner? You know, we use this term blithely in society. We toss it around. Well, he's the breadwinner. She's taking care or she's the breadwinner. But the feeling that you have right now, Mm-hmm. Which is, holy shit, I have my wife, my daughter, my co-founder, his wife, and their future children to feed. Forget about you. I didn't even think about me. <laughs> of course you didn't think about you. Because you're the breadwinner. Because you're the one who has taken it upon yourself. And I'm not saying it's not true. But notice the emotional content that's associated with this. I'll explain to you why it's important to notice the content in a second, but I want you to hold on to this. Notice what happens in your body. Notice how, like, again, you know, our audience is not going to see your face, but you, you went from that kind of nervous smiling, which is very sweet, 
to a more serious, like somber, because it's landing. The reason why it's important is that in order to be able to rise above the fear, you have to actually become familiar with it. You have to actually understand it. You have to actually lay out the stakes. Uh-huh. Now, why is that important? Because there's another part of your brain, the planning, strategic part of your brain, the part of your brain that's creative and innovative, the part of your brain that said, you know what would be really cool? What would be really cool is if we can automate the way people market to their social media, right? That breakthrough thinking. That part of the brain dials down when the other part of the brain dials up. Uh-huh. And this is counterintuitive, but the most important strategy for your fundraising for the next four months, because by the way, you got to get this done in the next four months, right? Uh-huh. Is going to be to manage down your fear. Because if you go into the fundraising terrified that Fiona is not going to be fed, it's going to undermine your ability to fundraise. Do you see what I'm saying? Because uh-huh. key to fundraising is to get people excited about your vision. I love investors. They're my friends. I've got some of my best friends are VCs. <laughs> but if you go into this process terrified, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And if you go into this process bullshitting yourself and pretending that you're not afraid that you're going to fail to feed your baby, then you'll come across as a liar, a sham artist. So my wish is for you to come across as the authentic, confident, creative, innovative entrepreneur that you are. And what I want to do is give you the tool to understand that fear. Okay. So that you're friendly with it. Now watch. Let's imagine that the company does run out of money. Imagine the company runs out of money tomorrow. Okay. What will you and Shannon do to feed Fiona? Um, there's always credit cards. Credit cards, anything else? I have some stock. Uh, we could sell our home. How about getting another job? Huh, that didn't. <laughs> <laughs> My point is this when you're a person who's living with your heart outside your body, i.e., a parent, you'll do whatever it takes, won't you? Yes. If you have to fucking paint houses, you'll paint houses. Fiona will be fed. You may not be, but you will. Am I wrong? Yeah. Okay. So don't worry about Fiona. I'm not saying 
you, you couldn't get yourself into a, a physical, emotional state where you couldn't work or you couldn't, you know, dig ditches. But if that's what you had to do, then that's what you'll do. And if that's what your co-founder has to do in order to feed his yet-to-be-named kids, then that's what he'll do. Right. Okay? So all we're talking about right now is creating the conditions in which this dream you have can actually come to fruition. Which is that this company gets the requisite funding to just get to the next level. Not even to break free of gravity. Just get to the next level. Now, what I'm doing here with you in this very short amount of time is helping you, hopefully helping you, connect in, in a grounded way to the reality. Right. Which is oftentimes what gets lost in the terror of fundraising. Because it's a terrifying process. Now, let's shift gears and let's talk pragmatic. Okay. Tell me what your fundraising strategy is going to be. Um, so we moved from London back here. So we don't know anyone, uh, but we're connecting with all the, any, any, all the tech stars companies that are in the area and just asking for advice. And uh, in doing that, they learn about our business and they help us figure out like, you know, how we do our pricing and they introduce us to more people. And I guess hopefully with all these connections, someone will know uh, the right investors who are in our space. And so I'm essentially going across AngelList and LinkedIn and finding all the angels who have invested in uh, the social media space or inbound marketing space, building a list. And uh, I'm going to share it with them and uh, hopefully have help. And hopefully what? Have help. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, I'm going to give you a B minus for that strategy. Okay. I'm going to take it up a level. Okay. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, well, first tell me how much are you uh, looking to raise? 400000 to help us uh, integrate other social media services. So we want to hire a couple engineers and we also need to bump up our sales and marketing. All right. How long will 400000 last you? Uh, about 18 months. From when you close the investment? Yeah. Okay. And when, when are you dead, dead, dead out of cash, according to the current burn? Uh, December. December 31 or December 1? Uh, I think we can, like as it gets closer, I think we can cut off our expenses to last till December 31. Like. Okay. So you need to have actually, and you're probably going to have to do this in a rolling close because you're not going to, I don't think you're going to be able to raise 400,000. Let's see, it's August 15th. Okay. We're launching a military campaign today. Today. Okay. You, you want you you want a spreadsheet. You want like a Salesforce-like document. Okay, and and this is your assignment. I want you meeting with meeting with. I'll define that in a second. Four to five people per week. Okay. Okay. 
And I, and by meeting, I mean talking on the phone or actually genuinely meeting with them. You may not be asking them for money, but what you're asking them for, sometimes you may be asking for money, or but what you're asking for is at least another meeting with them or someone else that they can be meeting with. So your Techstars contacts, your mentors from Techstars, and other friends that you have in the, in the business. And you want to get your, which means that next week, your pitch documents have to be ready. Okay. Okay. Any fear coming up for you? As I say this? Um, there's always the fear of the pitch documents not being good enough. Good enough. Yeah. Okay. What about a fear of cold calling or reaching out to somebody that you haven't ever met before? No, I Good. do that all the time. Good. That's your best asset. That's your best asset. You've got to sell that. You've got to build on that. Okay. Four to five of these meetings per week, which means a shitload of emails. You want to start thinking about the structure of this investment. Because the likely scenario is you're not going to get $400,000 from one investor. The likely scenario is you're going to to herd a bunch of cats. Okay? And it's going to be difficult because you're going to get $10,000 from this person and $50,000 from this person. And this person's going to be on vacation and they said they were going to get back to you. And so you want to set up the investment such that the money can start coming in. Your goal... I'm going to give you a hard goal. I want this company funded by November 15th. You see what I just did? Uh-huh. Scared the crap out of you. Because what you don't want to do is run out of money just as you're closing your documents. Okay. I mean, you could, but you see the point I'm trying to make. Right? Are you the CEO? Yeah. Okay, this is your job. Okay? It's not about selling the vision of the company Per se, it's not about necessarily sales. You have to get the resources in the bank. And you only have, right now, everybody's on vacation, so that's good. So you're not going to get a lot of responses. So you want to work on those pitch documents as much as possible. You want to get the story down clean and sharp and crisp. You want to get a demo down clean and sharp and crisp. And you are fundraising. You know, September 1, you're hitting the ground and you are running. I want you to tell Shannon that we've had this conversation. I want you to take her out to dinner tonight and tell her that September 1, you're not going to be around a lot. Uh Or even if you're around, you're going to be preoccupied. So apologize in advance. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I know the last three months has been this extraordinary experience. You've got this baby and you're dealing with it and it's exciting and, and... in the back of your mind, you're worrying about running out of money. So you're going to be focused. September and October, that's your, that's your time. And, and again, I want you to think about this as a military campaign. It's a disciplined every day. Who have I talked to? What's your uh, co-founder's name? Carl. I want you to explain this to Carl. Because he won't have listened to this by the time. You're, or, this will be broadcast after September 1. So... I want you to explain to him what I'm saying to you, but you have to be focused on getting this done. This is job one for you. Okay? 
you want to be focused on a lead who's going to set the terms. You know, I want to test something. What valuation are you looking for? Um, I think we want to be at market rate. Uh, we don't have the valuation set yet, but beautiful, beautiful. Okay, I was it was a test because any number you gave me would have been wrong. Oh, we learned that from David Cohen. Perfect. So here's the message. Here's uh, I will reinforce the David Cohen from TechStars message here. Okay. We are not. Here's here's the magic ninja move. We are not going to let valuation stand in our way for getting a great financial partner. Isn't that nice? <laughs> we are not going to let valuation stand in the way from us actually raising this money. The message that you want to send out and the, and the posture you want to take is we are smart, reasonable, thoughtful investors. There's plenty of time. If you get multiple term sheets and, you know, $600,000 worth of, great, then you negotiate. And no, don't give away the, the whole company. But don't worry so much about that, right? You stay focused. Your job is to convey to the investors that the, the, the idea behind the company may shift again, but you're a good entrepreneur. Because at this stage, the whole business will shift again in a year. We don't know. Is this helping? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So I want to bring your attention. Two pieces here we dealt with. The emotional piece of this, the fear. Because oftentimes the fear actually prevents us from seeing clearly. And then notice how quickly we're just able to lay out a clear plan of attack. Because you know what we did? We just cleared out the emotion. Okay, this is what's going on. If I have to, I'll fucking dig ditches. All right, now let's get to work and build a company. You see the, the relationship there. So when you find yourself, and you will, you'll find yourself with people not responding to your emails, saying no. Worse than even saying no is sort of saying maybe and not giving you a clear answer and stringing you along. When you find yourself in that place, take a deep breath. Go back to, if I have to, I'll dig ditches. Fiona will be fine. Shannon will be fine. Carl will be fine. Carl's wife will be fine. Carl's kids will be fine. Everybody will be fine. Now you get back to work. Right. I want to give you another image to hold on to. Because this always motivates me. Fiona is watching you even now. What kind of adult do you want her to be? That's who you are to be today. So 30 years from now, when she's an entrepreneur building her company, or 20 years from now, when she's an entrepreneur building her company, she stays centered. She doesn't let fear drive her. She takes the fear in. She doesn't let fear drive her. And she goes and does the things she needs to do. Just the way you were going to do. Does this resonate? Yeah. Again, I wish people could see the before and after of your face. 
Tell me how you're feeling as we're, as we're start to wrap. Um, I feel a lot less stressed about it because like, you're right. I mean, if, if let's say the company fails, everyone's going to be safe. I mean, that's it. Everyone is safe. I call this a myth-making machine, and I, he points to his head. It's a myth-making machine. The myth is, I'm going to fail as a father. Okay? Love her. And you won't fail. And you already love her. You already do. So, there's no failing. There's experiments that don't turn out the way you anticipate them to do. That's it. You love Fiona. You take care of your family. And then you experiment. Can you do those things? Yeah, that's not a problem. Say that again? That is not a problem. There you go. (laughs) Well... How was this for you? How was this conversation? It was good. I mean, like a lot of these things, like I feel like I'm just holding in because I like I can't exactly share my fears because it'll scare them as well. (laughs) That is another myth. That's another myth. Okay, here's a little bonus. When you take Shannon out tonight for dinner, or when you invite food in because you have a three-month-old and going out to dinner has gone by the wayside, I understand. Or when you make her dinner and you take care of her, tell her about this conversation. Tell her that you're afraid that you won't feed everybody. And then send me an email and tell me what she says. I guarantee you Guarantee you she won't say to you, well, Sherman, you damn well better feed us. (laughs) And I have never met Shannon. Right? Right. But that's that's not what she's going to say. She might say, I have a fear that this will happen. Or, yes, I get worried about. But fear, like any other feeling, is a currency with which we connect with other people. Uh-huh. This is what being human is about. And you really want to lead well? Lead with feeling. Okay. Okay? Thank you so much. That was awesome. Let me thank you. Because it took some courage to come on the phone and meet a stranger and talk like this. And I really appreciate you being able to do that. It's really an honor to, to share this with you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Our next conversation is with Joseph Bassett, CEO of Don Equipment. Don Equipment is a company that makes the most advanced ground engaging devices uh, for farmers in the world. So we make devices that are inject fertilizer into the ground, uh, aid in the process of injecting seed into the ground for planting and uh, a number of other um, purposes. And we've recently uh, pivoted into eco and bio farming too. Uh, and so, uh, it's been a very good business. And, um, uh, if I remember correctly, it's, it was bootstrapped. Is that correct? 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had no choice but to bootstrap. Some people bootstrap by choice. I, I basically graduated college in 2003 and had like, you know, uh, Dawn Equipment my, was actually founded by my father and some other guys. And they did some really visionary early work in precision farming. Like the first yield monitor was invented at Dawn. Uh, we really, uh, my father as an entrepreneur in a lot of ways, they, they had this very kind of up and to the right trajectory. And then they started thinking they were gods and we're going to make a complete planter instead of just a sub assembly. And, uh, you know, it, totally just bad execution and but it drove the company into bankruptcy when and that was in my you know graduating high school going to college really kind of traumatic time at a formative time and seeing that experience and how that uh impacted my parents and so on and so forth i don't know i mean i i came back to a company that had shrunk down to four employees and uh who i pretty much ended up terminating all of in the first two years. So it sounds like uh, from, from inheriting the business out of bankruptcy, you've built the business now fairly substantially. 2,000% in 10 years. 2,000% in 10 years. So yeah. I, I know from my notes that, that you were calling about this low-level fear, I think you called it. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Talk to me about what, what the... What the concern is? What, what did you want to talk through today? Well, I mean, I think when you can connect that back to bootstrapping also, bootstrapping is amazing if you can pull it off. But uh, like I said, I never had any opportunity to do anything other than bootstrap. And so you're always one click away in those early phases when you have a business that is really a struggling business. You're always one click away from failure. And then to have to do relatively capital-intensive R&D and tooling and, and the, the type of products we make, it's, it's very, very, very challenging. And it just, I, I don't know, it, you get into this thing where, uh, you know, we hit on it at CEO Bootcamp where you experience this low-level fear that you're going out of business at any moment, even when you're, it's irrational. Even when you're successful. Even when you're successful, yeah. Right, so yeah. let's just pause on that one because I think that's a really important point. What can happen over time is it almost becomes a habit of mind. Fear becomes a habit of mind. Sometimes it's negative and sometimes it's positive, but it becomes a habit. And so over time, I mean, think about what you've just described. You've been bootstrapping this. I think you said it quite eloquently. There's a, you're one step away from failure all the time. And you have a little bit of what I would call you know, uh, vicarious post-traumatic stress disorder. You didn't oversee a bankruptcy, but you were a part of it. Or not really even a full bankruptcy, but, but that sense it. And so there's that in the background. At a very young age. And so it, would, it makes sense to me that you never quite feel like you've got the ground beneath you. Yeah. And I remember another question you had in your notes was, or is this just fundamentally part of who I am and do I use it to drive myself? I mean, uh, unraveling that ball of yarn is a complex one because, you know, and I don't know that you necessarily can. 
unravel them at some point. I've, I was, I have been extremely competitive my entire life from when I was two or three years old. I mean, and I, how some people just are very competitive people. So that part of me that has, I've always been that way. I've always just kind of, I don't know, driven myself in that way to where you just know things can be done better. So, so notice, notice something. Cause, cause I think, I think, I, again, I think you're, you're, you're really elegant and eloquent about the way you're connecting these things. I think what you're identifying is that there's a connection between fear, between being driven or ambitious or competitive, between wanting to succeed from a positive place and wanting and wanting to succeed because not wanting to fail. Right. So it's like it's all interconnected. And so, you know, a lot of times people think that, that whether, whether it's through coaching or doing some inner work, or as you recall from the boot camp, you know, this phrase that I like to use, radical self-inquiry. A lot of times people think that the point is to get rid of feelings, to get rid of, in this case, say, the low-level fear. I don't understand. I'm successful. What am I afraid of? I would argue that it's not so much getting rid of a feeling. It's really becoming so friendly with it, so familiar with it, to understand it. So rather than it being a driver in the way that it drives you crazy, but to use it as a tool for yourself, which I think unconsciously you've hit upon since, as you said, two years old. You know, it's so easy when there's pain to assume that there's something wrong. Yeah. I mean, and that's the whole thing. It's like, I love building farm equipment. I build awesome computer controlled hydraulic machines out of forgings and stuff. And, you know, I really like doing it. I wish everybody could see your face right now because you're smiling in a way that's just. No, it's fine. I like it. Yeah. You know, but when you have a lot of customers, when you're running, see, the thing for me is at some point, the question is, am I going to run a big business, right? And running a big business and running a smaller, medium-sized business are two totally different things. And like I said, I and running a business that's succeeding and running a business that's close to failing are also different things. So there's an implicit question behind all that, Joe, right? And the question is, what is going to happen to me? And you know what the answer is? I don't know. And neither yeah. do you. Yeah. I've, I mean, lately I've kind of almost been feeling like I've gotten myself into, uh, I mean, we've actually sorted out some very hard um, mechanical problems and have some really great uh, designs and intellectual property. And it's just, uh, I'm really having to ask, what is it do I want to do? You know, I, you know, I know I, I've come to grips with the fact that I believe in design and products and that in some businesses that's everything. So these guys that come in and are like, Oh, Joe, you haven't gone to business school. You haven't done this, blah, blah, blah. You don't know how to run a business. It's like making products that these customers love. These are farmers. And that's another thing you have like these tech CEOs that get all this buzz and everything. But it's like, I run a business that is my available customers are like one half of 1% of Americans, you know, but they have such a disproportionate impact on this whole thing. And it's, I just feel like, Agriculture is really not well understood um, in I general. Want to, I want to interrupt you and take you back to something for a moment. You said these people come in 
and say, Joe, you didn't go to business school. Are these real people or are these people in your head? No, they're real people. Who comes in and says that? Lots of people that, uh, the, the kind of people that are on the sidelines. Okay, yeah. I, I want you to do something for me, okay? Tell me which college degree Bill Gates has. Oh, right, none. Tell me which business school Steve Jobs went to. Oh, right, none. Notice something, Joe. There's another thread here. Behind the fear and the competitiveness and the ambition and the desire to grow and the, and the difficulty you have about uncertainty, the way you're allowing other people's projections of what status is or, or what success is to impact whether or not you're having a good time. Or what management is. Or what too. management is. Or what success is. Let me ask you something. You said to me, I don't know if this is going to be a big company or a small to medium-sized company. What do you want, Joe? Oh, man. I would like to get into some more expensive R&D projects, which are the types of things that just take, I'm not going to be able to fund out of cash flow. But when I hear, like, when I think about growing a business, maybe taking on investment, maybe having a board, it, it, you just hear about like, oh, are you making your quarterly numbers? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? And you just, I just don't think you can run well, a business. Well, stay with that for a moment because I think you're onto something here. So you're imagining, in that moment, you're imagining, I recapitalize the business or I capitalize the business different, in a different way. I have a board of directors. I have all these investors. Now I have to answer questions about how I manage. Notice right. how you feel as you imagine that. How do you feel about yourself? Because the feeling I got was that you were almost being defensive even before the critics were in the room telling you, hey, listen, your quarterly numbers aren't good. Yeah. I, finding the right investors are going to be huge that understand the vision and understand the business. And that's... I agree. And finding the right investors who understand your inherent natural leadership capabilities despite not having gone to business school. And this is, this is important. You, you were asking a very powerful question. I'm going to take you back to that question. So the low-level fear remains, despite the fact that I've had success. And I'm going to argue that there's a couple of reasons why. One is you habitually use it to drive for further success. Yeah. That's not a negative. Just recognize and label what it is so that it doesn't drive you kind of crazy. We're almost brought up in a society being told these days that more is bad. You know, that, that like... Joe, Joe, from where I sit, more isn't better. More isn't worse. Less isn't better. Less isn't worse. It's not more or less that's the problem. It's how you feel about more or less. You know, I often think of that, that quote from, from the Bible, which is money is the root of all evil. It's actually, that's misunderstood. That's misquoted. What St. Paul actually wrote is love of money is the root of all evil. And what he was getting at is the way we attach a sense of self and meaning and attach, and attach it to money. In this case, I don't care if you want to pursue more. 
But if you only want to pursue more so that you can quiet some demon in your head that tells you that less is bad or vice versa, right? As the dropouts are telling you, either either party is, you know, the dog remains tied to the leash. Whether you run away. I really love inventing products. Then inventing products. I really love is inventing products, but then the success is how you is the metric by which you get to continue to do this. Is it? Is it? Yeah. I, I got to sell stuff. You got to sell stuff. So, so when I asked you before, what do you want to do? You hit upon something very powerful. You said, I want to, I want to do more and more interesting. I think you used the word expensive, but you meant costly R and D. So really at the root of this, Joe is you want to invent stuff and you want to create a company that wants to invent stuff and you want to create a company that invents stuff that changes the world of agriculture. Sometimes you got to lose money to make money also. And that is true. And you also recognize that creating a good container of a well-run company actually furthers this. And so you're in this tension point between uh, uh, investing in the business, taking the risks associated with that, and doing. I have no problem with that. And I don't think you will have a problem with that. But I think now we're talking about stuff that, that is in the realm that actually can feed the fear. And the fear, if you think about it, let's go back to the fear for a moment. The fear, you said that you were worried about failing and then you realize that it's not actually failure. It's this low level constant fear. Do you know what it is that you're afraid of? What's the most outrageous, crazy fear that comes to mind when you think about it? Oh yeah. I mean, the, the worst thing that's going to do. And I mean, I'm not going to, if I quote unquote, Failed. Well, the, the, I w- I'm not going to end up on the street. I mean, I can design farm equipment other places. What, what, is, what is the fear? Now, I understand that your conscious mind is telling you don't worry about it. But what is it that you're actually that that, well, that scared little kid is worried about? That's what. That's that aspect to family business that I think a lot of people don't really understand in that same way. That when you when you start mixing families and business together. And so you take the issues that exist inside of relationships, inside of families, then you kind of mobilize them inside of a business. And I mean, we're 45 people work at Don Equipment. It's not, I mean, but it's still, you know, it has been a family business. So your fear is that you're going to, what, fail the family and the family legacy? That makes total sense. So can you see that by, by holding on to that's, that's like when St. Paul said, love of money is the root of all evil. It's like, it's, it's, you know, you've got this false conflict that you're working with, which is, I'd like to take risks. I'd like to expand the platform. I'd like to capitalize the business in such a way that I can invent more things, that people here can invent more things. Like every time I say this, your eyes pop open. because That's what you want. But the fear is that your parents' retirement's at risk. Right. Right. Now let's just hold in that place. Okay. Remember before I said, 
the way we turn fear from something that's negative to something that's powerfully positive for us is to become friendly with it, even if it's implausible. It's like, I, you know, I name these things as demons and monsters. Name the monster. Name it. It's, oh, it's implausible. But that, that's at the root of the conflict. And so I think this low-level fear you're talking about isn't as much about being afraid of failure as much as it is not taking care of your parents or not being able no. to live out what your yeah. heart says. Yeah. I mean, because I really don't, I take huge business risks a lot of times and like just that it's, it's a very intuitive thing. And I, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, what's crazy is basically having to work, you know, you've got like complex, uh, tax situations when you have, I mean, S corporation, when you have, um, estates and family businesses and things like this, you have complex issues like that, all sorts of things. But the only thing I'm going to do, it's like, for me, it's like, uh, like, you know, that movie hoop dreams about basketball. For me, it's like, it's like engineering hoop dreams where you invent your way out of this bourgeois middle-class suburban America. And it's like, no matter what the fuck I'm going to do, we're going to figure this out. I'm going to give you a piece of homework. I want an email from you that tells me what your mechanical hoop dreams are. I want to understand what the hoop dream is. I, I, and, and the reason I'm asking you to write it out, because I want you to viscerally experience it. I want you to play with it. Give voice to it. Not, not just sit there and do what I know you're doing, which is mulling about it when you're online at the bank or driving your car or something like that. Really tend to that dream. Give some thought to it. Do you think you can do that? Yeah, I think there's... I'm just going to finish with this anecdote that happened to me the other day when I was in Dusseldorf, Germany. So I, I'm starting to feel about there's weird energy in the world about how things work and about like different connections and things that are made. Cause I was in this uh, bar in Dusseldorf and I was talking and I got to talking with this bartender and it turns out he actually just tends bar on vacation, but he uh, sells these electronic components and we got to talking and he literally gave me this idea that I was just like, oh my God, to solve a critical, very hard problem in uh, agriculture. And then I walk out of this bar like 10 minutes later, go out to the street, and this enormous fat man gets hit by this bus. Holy mackerel. And uh, I was just like, holy cow. It's Sometimes life is just like, and you know, my time management has been sucking lately. And uh you know, it, I've just, I've, I'm just kind of like, just hold it together, you know, and, and move forward. But I, I think things are going to go well, but I, 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 I will, I, w- I will play with that. Do that and, and, and make a connection back to the man who got hit by the bus. Um, I'd like to know more about your connection between those two. Joe, I just want to thank you for this. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was really wonderful seeing you again and talking with you and being with you and email me. Yeah, I will. It's uh, really, I really enjoyed CO bootcamp too. I think it's a great product. So oh, thank you. So okay. we'll, we'll, we'll get you to the, to the, uh, to the alumni one. Sure. Sounds cool. Thanks. All Jerry. right, buddy. Be All right. right. 
So that's it for our conversation today. I know a lot was covered in this episode, from links to books to quotes to images. So we went ahead and compiled all that and put it on our site at reboot.io slash podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can find out about that on our site as well. I'm really grateful that you took the time to listen. If you enjoyed the show and you want to get all the latest episodes as we release them, head over to iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, it would be great if you could leave us a review, letting us know how the show affected you. So thank you again for listening, and I really look forward to future conversations together. How long till my soul gets it right?